Thanks for listening to the CT Podcast, a ministry of Church Triumphant, another opportunity for you to be equipped and encouraged to win, disciple, and send. For further information, go to www.churchtea.org. There's four main characters in the story. Jane Lucretia D'Astaire, her husband John Frederick D'Astaire, Daniel O'Connell, and an unnamed guy. So when you pick up the story, you find that, that, that Jane D'Astaire is ankle deep in a river of water. She's gazing out into the river, and she's ready to just throw it all away. She's ready to commit suicide. She found that all of it seems meaningless, like it doesn't matter. She has found herself in a spot where it just doesn't seem like any of it makes sense anymore. So you might ask, why does she end up there? Well, that's where the other two guys come in, John Frederick D'Astaire and this guy, Daniel O'Connell. Turns out in the UK, in the, in the 18, in 1800s, John Frederick D'Astaire wanted to make some good of his community, and so he chooses to run for city sheriff. Daniel O'Connell is a loudmouth, self-proclaimed liberator who's kind of wreaking havoc everywhere that he goes. And he causes some trouble in town, and the trouble that he causes boils down to a gun duel in the street. John Frederick D'Astaire is the better marksman. Daniel O'Connell is the larger framed man. And somehow the marksman misses the larger target, and the other guy hits his. John Frederick D'Astaire falls to the ground in the street. In his final breaths, he offers forgiveness to the man who killed him, forever causing grief for that man. Tradition would have it that Daniel O'Connell would never receive communion ever again without having a black glove on the hand that, that held the gun. He offers an annuity to the daughter of John Frederick D'Astaire. And, and somehow you would think that after all of that, that somehow some of that would that, that, that Jane Lucretia D'Astaire would find some consolation. But she doesn't. So I want to read for you verbatim from the book I found this in, the next part. Jane D'Astaire gazed into the dark depths of the river. For some reason, however, she looked up and saw a young plowman, fourth character in the story, setting to work in a field on the other bank of the river. He was about her age, but quite oblivious to her and to anything but his work. Meticulous, absorbed, skilled, he displayed such a pride in his work that the newly turned furrows looked as finely executed as the paint strokes on an, on an artist's canvas. Despite herself, Jane Lucretia was fascinated. Slowly, she was drawn into the plowman's pride until admiration turned into wonder and wonder turned into rebuke. What was she doing collapsing into self-pity? How could she be so wrapped up in herself when two small children were dependent upon her? Rebuked and braced, she got up, returned to Dublin, and resumed life. Saved from suicide and reinvigorated for, reinvigorated for life by the sight of a work well done. The author says this, I said earlier that such a reason was unusual. I, said, I also said that all of the reasons I know, it meant the most to my family, he says. The explanation is simple. Jane D'Astaire was my great-great-grandmother. A few weeks 
A, a few weeks later, she met and married my great-great-grandfather, Captain John Grattan Guinness, youngest son of Arthur Guinness, the Jumbo Lubbin Brewer, you guys, some of you may know of that, and a former officer under a fellow Irishman, Arthur Wellesley, the Duke of Wellington. Now listen to these words. If it had not been for the duel, our side of the family would not have come into being. If it had not been for the plowman, the guy on the hamster wheel doing everyday life, not even knowing that anybody else was even paying attention to what he was doing, the tragedy of the dueling husband would have followed by the tragedy of the duelist widow's suicide. She had been arrested by work done in a special way. Author of the book, Os Guinness, apologist, theologian, known to travel with the likes of Ravi Zacharias and several other guys. He, this, is, this is a story from the pages of his own family heritage. And we wonder if the menial things that we do, see, God intends for us to, 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 to have a different view of our lives. We at times, we, we, we are the plowman. We're, we're doing everyday stuff all the time and we wonder if it matters. And we long to be the guy who makes an impact like Daniel O'Connell. We'll do it at all costs, try, try to make an accomplishment, accumulate everything we can. And what we don't realize in those moments are we are draining life out of our lives and the life out of the people around us. We want to be Daniel O'Connell, known for something, but really what God wants us to be is the plowman. He wants us to add holiness to the mundane and the normal. He wants us to, to work well and love much and to make a difference, not in the big grand scale of things, but in the normal everydayness of life. When life feels empty and meaningless, we feel like we're on that proverbial hamster wheel, don't we? It's like the gun, the gun, the smoke out of the gun. It disappears, and all of a sudden, there's just stuff. What is going on here, right? But God intends, God wants to inject joy into that hamster wheel. He wants to inject joy into that gun smoke. He wants to inject joy into that. So I'm going to say something several times this morning. I want you to grab it. Life is empty when it's only filled with M E. Life is empty. When it's only filled with M-E. Me. Jesus has another plan. See, we, we need a heaven-aided view of life, not a human-sided view of life. Which brings us to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. And, and we, we, we see things from one side, and it seems vain, and it seems meaningless, and it seems, yeah, and God's got another view of it. Let, 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 let's read Ecclesiastes 1, start with verse 2. The writer here says this, everything is meaningless, says the teacher, completely meaningless. What do people get for all their hard work under the sun? Generations come, generations go, but the earth never changes. There's life, death. Now listen to this. The sun rises and the sun sets, then hurries around to rise again. The wind blows south. And then turns north. Around and around it goes, blowing in circles. Everything in between. Rivers run into sea. The sea, but the sea is never full. Then the water returns again to the rivers and it flows out again to the sea. Everything just keeps... Everything is wearisome beyond description. Now listen to the next line. No matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are not content. History merely repeats itself. It has all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. Some people, sometimes people say, here's something new, but actually it's old. Nothing's ever truly new. We don't remember what happened in the past before our life. And in future generations, after our death, no one will remember what's going on here and now, everything in between. 
Now, the writer of this, this, this piece of scripture here is the second wisest man to ever live next to Jesus, right? He's going to be the wisest, but Jesus lived. His name's Solomon. He writes this, this thing. I'll read, I'll read it from, from a commentary from the English Standard Version uh, Bible. Uh, it says this, Ecclesiastes contains reflections of an old man, the preacher, Solomon, as he considered the question of the meaning in life. He looked back and saw the futility, or some translations say this word, vanity, of chasing after even the good things this life can offer, including wisdom, work, pleasure, and wealth. Even if such things are satisfying for a time, listen to these next words, death is certain to end this satisfaction. The word vanity here, see, we're, we're talking about this, when life is empty when it's only filled with M-E. Several translations of the, of the scripture, right, where it says life is meaningless, like utterly meaningless there in verses 2, it uses the word vanity, 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 always vanity. The definition for vanity is this, look at the dictionary, it says this, it's excessive pride in or admiration of one's appearance or achievements, it's all about me. That's definition number one. Definition number two is this. The quality of being worthless or futile. Translation, when it's all about me, it's worthless and futile. When everything about life is what I can get and how good I look and what I can accomplish and what I can get done, it, it turns up empty every single time. Every time. And sometimes this creeps up on us. We don't even realize it's happening. We don't understand. Ecclesiastes uh, 1 from the message reads like this. Smoke, nothing but smoke. That's what the quester says. There's nothing to anything. It's all smoke. Where there, where, where, what's there to show for a lifetime of work? A lifetime of working your fingers to the bone. What, what, what do I get for this? What do I get? I can work and I can strap and I got a college. I got things on the wall that say I did something. But somehow it just doesn't seem like it makes sense anymore. Got a bunch of letters behind my name. I got all this money in the account. I got that house I want. I want that, got that car I want. I got that boat I want. I got those things hanging on the wall that I, that I somehow managed to slay out in the middle of the field somewhere. And some of it still, I'm still looking for answers. Am I right? He goes on to say, one generation goes its way, the next one arrives, but nothing changes. It's business as usual for all planet Earth, life, death, and everything in between. Something you got to know, self-centeredness confines us to a hopeless existence. And the empty hamster wheel cycle of routine. Ecclesiastes 1, 3, and 8 read like this in the ESV. What does man gain? See, it's all about what, what do I get? What do I get out of this? What do I, and we, we ask these questions about our job. We ask these questions of our spouses. We ask these questions of our kids. We ask these questions of our church. What do I get? What's in it for me? What's the benefit package? Not whether I'm called to something or not. Not whether God will want to use my life or something. What do I get? What do I got coming? What does man gain by the toil at which he works under the sun? All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it, he says. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. See, doing things to accumulate more, to, to accumulate more or to self-preserve will lead us into empty living. It all becomes empty. It all becomes empty. I can have all the toys. I can have every piece of electronic equipment. I can have, live on the right side of town. I can have the pretty landscape, and I can have all that. And somehow something seems like it's just not working sometimes. 
I could chase the job, get the interview, get into it, and then, then six months in go, what am I doing here? Chase after it forever. Don't even know what's happening. I, 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 I subscribe to some, some leadership like newsletters and LeaderCast, you guys may or may not know, several years ago it was called the Chick-fil-A LeaderCast. Chick-fil-A was the main sponsor of it. And they, they do leadership things all over, all over for, for, for leaders of all sorts, of, not just Christian leaders or church leaders, but they, they, they give in to leaders from all over the place. And when they do their, their big events, they have people like from the Christian world, like John Maxwell or Henry Cloud or Andy Stanley speak. But they also have like corporate people in business. And one of the things I got sent recently was from a lady named Julie Balky. And she's the founder, and check this, you got to love this. This, this. this could only happen in America, right? She's the chief, the chief happiness officer. <laughs> She's also the founder of this thing called the Balky Group, which is a, a, an executive consultation firm. They go and help executives figure out where they're going, what they're doing, right? And so, so her, she, she, she says these, one of the things we're seeing with our executive clients these days is the sense of, is this all there is? They want to know, how can I take my career and make it more meaningful? See, these people she deals with are just like Solomon. Solomon was the richest man on the planet. He had, he had other kings and queens come to visit him to see what he was doing. They were astounded by his wealth and his riches, by all of his stuff. They were astounded by all that he'd done, all that he'd accomplished, all these things. And he gets to the end, and he goes, is this all there is? These executives have climbed the ladder. We're all trying to climb. And they got to the top and went, is this all there is? I got the money, got the car, got the people paying attention to me. I get the VIP sitting at the, at, at the special events. I get all that. And I keep going, is this all there is? I mean, there's something askew there, right? If self-centeredness confines us to the hamster wheel, then listen to this. Christ-centeredness opens the door to freedom, fulfillment, love, and life. Now, we've heard from Solomon Runner-up to the wisest man competition. Okay? Let's hear from the guy who was the wisest. You want to do that? John 15, you'll find these words. Jesus is right. If you've got a red-letter edition of the Bible, you'll find these words in red, indicating that he said them. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they will produce even more. Now, here's a translation for you. Hard times come to all of us. The good, the good branches and the bad ones. Snip, snip. Difficulty happens. Pain happens. Things happen, right? He says, I do so that they will bear even more fruit. Some of you who are, who are, who are husbandmen-like, do you raise fruit trees or roses or whatever, you know that when you snip something back, it gets fuller, right? We got this rose bush right now in front of our house. I, I'm, I'm, I, I don't do landscaping, okay? I'm just, not my thing, all right? And back several weeks ago, it was kind of crazy looking, and I, I cut that bad boy back because it's kind of got like this round shape, and you can't believe the blossoms that are on that thing right now. It is beautiful. <laughs> if I do so myself. The principle Jesus is talking about here. Sometimes we think we got all that and the bad times happen. We're like, what's going on? Jesus is like, dude, got to cut some things back so later on you'll have more fruit. You'll find more fulfillment in living out your life. You'll find more joy in being what I want you to be. And I got to cut some things off because it's kind of growing out of control. So I got to snip, 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 right? Okay, so that's what he's saying. I'm getting sidetracked. I don't want to. 
He goes, you've already been pruned and purified by my message I've given you. Right now, you don't even realize it. Right now, the word of God is cleansing your heart and your mind. Right now. Because his word that does the cleansing. It's his word that cuts away the stuff that's unnecessary. And right now, you're getting a focus check. Right now, you don't even realize it. You're getting, you're getting like, dude, my, 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 my view of life is kind of skewed. I am on the hamster wheel. I want, I, I've wanted to be that Daniel O'Connell, but doggone it, I'm the, I'm the plowman. And I don't even realize what, what difference my life is making. But if I would live it correctly and just do what God's put in front of me today, the way he wants me to do it, I might make a difference. And there may be no bells and whistles. There may be no fireworks. There may be no obvious evidence that I, I, they don't even know if this guy even knows that Jane Lucretia didn't commit suicide because of him. We don't even know his name. And yet a family's life is completely altered and the kingdom of God is fortified because she gives birth to a guy named Oz, who's a theologian and apologist. Tragedy turned into triumph. Am I right? I got a work well done by a guy who didn't even know somebody's paying attention. In the mundane hamster wheel living he was doing, doesn't even know he has saw to it. That's bad, Appalachian, Southern Ohio, English. He had seen to it that, this, that, that, that there's a possibility that a guy who would upbuild the kingdom of God would be born out of this. Get a re, re, recheck your. Uh, where's Greg Phillips at? Check yourself before you wreck yourself. He worked with Obadiah Harris at the high school. I don't know if you guys know Obadiah Harris, but Obadiah says things like that all the time. So go on. He's a pastor too. Obadiah's a pastor in town. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce... For branches I produce fruit, I'll give you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. See, Christ has to be the sinner. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine. You cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Here's the problem. The reason some of us are in a hamster wheel is because we're the center of the wheel. Okay? Imagine like a bicycle wheel. And there's these spokes coming off. We're the one at the center. And there's my job. And there's my family. And here's my accomplishments. Oh, and here's Jesus. And we wonder why life's not going anyplace. Because we're in the center of the wheel. He says, remain in me, abide in me. He should be the center of the circumstance. He should be the center of the heart. He should be the center of the existence. And if he's not, it will be absolutely meaningless. Remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit. It can't be full if it's severed from the vine. You cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. I am the vine. He keeps saying, it. you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. You see, you see the, the, the thing, it just keeps like, I find emptiness. Jesus says, no, I, I, I find fullness. I, I, find dis, I find dissatisfaction. Jesus says, I can point you towards satisfaction. You say, I find discontentment. Jesus says, I, I, I got contentment for you. But it can't be about you. It's got to be about me. Now, this is not some secular humanist, listen to me, I'm not doing some pop psychology, Jesus, you know, is, you know, my homeboy speaking right now. These are Jesus' words. Okay, this is the gospel, not some other gospel. Okay, it's not about you. 
I'm not preaching to make you feel good, like you're going to find your way, and all of a sudden you're going to get the, the paycheck, it's going to make it. No, I'm not saying that. You might find that life pleases you a pretty horrible bag of tricks, but if Jesus is in the middle of it, you and that pretty horrible bag of tricks, you'll find that you feel fulfilled because you know you're where you're supposed to be, doing what you're supposed to be doing, glorifying the one who made you in relationship with him, loving him and loving other people, and all of a sudden it doesn't matter. Man, okay. Where am I at? I don't know. 4496, State Route 180. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Now, in a lot of theology departments, they won't even say these things anymore. Jesus says, if you don't, there, there is consequence for you living for yourself. They're gathered into a pile to be burned. There is heaven and there is hell. They're very real. You won't keep living for you. You might find it being really hot afterwards. Just saying. That's not my message today, but just kind of soak it in. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you will, listen to this, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. See, we're asking questions. Is life worth it? Is it meaningful? Can I find fulfillment? Can I find satisfaction? Can I, can I really sort things out? And when you start asking those kind of questions, when Jesus is a sinner, Jesus, God's like, I got the answer for that. You ask that, I'll give it to you. you you're looking for that? If I'm in the center, because here's the other thing. If he's in the center, it changes how this thing operates. It changes how this thing operates. All of a sudden, the heart has a different set of affections and a perspective. And then when you start asking for things, God's like, dude, I got that. Not about you. Not about the car. No, 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 not about any of that. It's about him being in the center of your chest. And everything emanating from him out to the outward places. That the things you would ask for suddenly become the things he would want to give. And he does want you as his child to experience fulfillment. He does, what, what parent doesn't want that? I don't want my kids walking around going, I wish I would, I'm just a loser, I can't make it. Mean, my kids did not think I'm, just, I'm, such a, I'm not such a bonehead dad. My kids can't figure out what they're doing in life. I don't know, I'm, you know. Nobody want, God doesn't want that for you. At the same time, he realizes this. He realizes that you get lost on the way getting where he wants you to go. But it's real easy in the culture we live in to make life all about you. It's real easy in this culture to, 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 to all the advertisements and the TV shows and the, the, oh, dude, social media. It's the worst, man. Because you get the impression. Did you see that thing that little rapper dude did the other day? Selfied himself on the airplane. Took a picture of the airplane. It was supposed to be a private jet. Posted up on social media when everybody think he was all that in a bag of chips. And, uh, and one dude was following him on Twitter and realized he was on the same regular plane he was on. <laughs> Snapped the picture of it. Click. Bow Wow just said he was on some private jet. No, he ain't. He's with me on this, on this American Airlines flight. Because you, you start thinking that you, it's about you and you're trying to make this image like I got this and you don't have it. And then you think, and then everybody else starts funneling into that, like they can have it too. Now, those, those things are cool. I learn a lot from stuff, and I, I find blogs and different things, and I've known different things about me, and, I, and there's things that help me. There's things I just go, oh, I'm not watching that anymore. That's dumb. Anyway, <laughs> when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. Now, listen, when, when the Bible talks of fruit almost always in the scripture, it has to do with character traits. Go read Galatians 5 22 and 23. 
The fruit God's looking for are character traits, and those character traits make life selfless, not selfish. It's about patience. It's about self-control. It's about goodness. It's about kindness. It's about love. It's about joy. It's about peace. Now, none of those things are self-centered things. Those things are outward-focused things. So he says that. This is, this is what he wants. This brings great glory to my Father. That's what you were created for, to bring glory to the one who made you. I have loved you even as my Father has loved me. Remain in my love. Love is the central thing. When you obey my commands, you remain in my love just as, my, just as I obey the, my Father's commands, remain in his love. Now, some of you are getting anxious, like that's getting legalistic. When you know that Jesus boiled the whole thing down to two, suddenly that doesn't seem like that big of a deal. You know what two Jesus said to keep? Love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, all your soul, right? And love your neighbor like you love yourself. Those are the two. He said, keep, you're going to keep anything, keep those two. Matter of fact, if you keep those two, you'll take care of the rest of them. No problem. So he's talking about this command thing. It's not legalism to Jesus he's talking about. Jesus is saying, listen, keep those two things and we'll be straight. We'll be good. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. I have told you these, listen to these words. I have told... When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commands, I'll remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Now listen to these words. Check this, check this out. Yes, your joy will be full. Dude, is that all we're looking for in life? Fullness of joy? That, that, that we wake up in the morning ready to tackle life? That we wake up in the morning going, dude, what's, what's going to happen today? We wake up in the morning going, dude, I'm going to have a chance to glorify God. I'm going to wake up in the morning with a chance to, 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 to experience love, give away love, receive love, all that stuff. Am I right? Is that what we're looking for? Because you can have all the stuff, and if you don't have that, you know, you, there are all kinds of people. Did you hear about that dude this week? Well-known, lead singer, sound garden. Dead. Why? He committed suicide. He's got all the stuff. The house, the car, the girls, all everything. He got it all and found out, dude, he's got, he, he was suffering with some mental illness issues as well. He's like, dude, trying to make sense of all of it. Couldn't make sense of all of it. Tragic. Awful. Right? You want joy, you find it being centered on Christ, not on anything else, because he's the one who made your heart. To make sense of life, we must first realize our first calling is to a single person. Not to something, not to some accomplishment, not to some task, not to some accumulation of something. Our first call is to him. He said, remain in me, abide in me, right? He wants you to be with him, near him, close to him, connected to him. That's what he wants. And the first way to get rid of the wrong view of life is to fill the emptiness, and to fill the emptiness is to fill your life with Him. See, life is empty when it's filled with only M-E. Empty, M-E. Fully, J-C. I don't know, okay. All right? Just thought of that. See, significance is found in connecting to the caller and then connecting the caller to others. Let's read on from John 15, 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than that someone laid down his life for his friends. You know what Jesus just gave him a key there? You want to make life full? Empty your life for somebody else. Jesus died an early death. 
But it, 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 it wasn't unfulfilling. It was not like, dude, what's it all about? It wasn't empty. He died way ahead of his time in most people's ideas. And guess what? It was completely full and it made sense. You know why? Because it wasn't about him. It was about every other person who would ever live on this planet. It was about glorifying the Father. It was about keeping the will of God in the center of all that he did. And when he died at 33 years old, 13 years younger than me, he had done more to ravage the hearts of men and women than any person that ever lived. And it doesn't make sense to us that God would let him go that early. But listen to me. It doesn't make sense that things happen in our life. But listen, it's not, when it's not about us, when it's not about the temporary now, when it's not about the things I can get, when it's not about the, the certificates I can earn, when it's not about the merits I receive, when it's about me emptying my life for the cause of Christ and for the good of other people, suddenly whatever happens has a whole new light. Whatever I'm involved in, whatever work I do, whatever relationships I have, whatever things are going on, suddenly makes sense if I'm emptying myself for the good of others. You are my friends if you do what I command you, he tells them. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. See, he wants them close. He wants us close. Many of us are content with just being the servant of Jesus. He starts getting into our mess. We kind of push him back. Like, that's all right, I just serve you. Can I just show up to church on Sunday morning? That'd be good. I mean, I... You know, some people get ate up with that tithing thing. If I can still tithe and do what I want to do, I'm straight. I mean, I'll give those, I'll give that hour like once a month in children's ministry. Jesus, let me do what I'm going to do. Hmm? Now I'll serve coffee in the cafe, man. I got that. I'll be, I'll, I'll, Jesus, at 8.30 in the morning, I'll even smile at people. <laughs> but Monday through Saturday, I got this. And we, we I, I know I'm making it kind of sarcastic and silly, but honestly... The conduct of our lives would, would, would indicate we think those thoughts. And we negotiate with God that way. And you know it's true. I do that at times too. You know. I'm not a great negotiator, but I try every now and then to get what I want. Huh? Keep reading. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends. For all that I have heard from the Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. He wants fullness there, that your, fruit, that your fruit should abide. He doesn't want life empty. He wants life full. So that whatever you ask, he says again, whatever you ask in the, Father, in the Father's name, he may give it to you. So when Jesus is the sinner, we ask different kinds of questions, and our whatevers become whatever. And what we say really is, Jesus, whatever it takes for me to honor you, that's what I want. Whatever it takes for me to love people, show me how to do it. Whatever it takes for you to receive glory for my life, whatever. And, we, and we'd, we'd ask those kinds of whatever questions of God, he would answer every one of them in an affirmative way. But we keep chasing after things that are for us. Not his glory. Not for other people. Life never has been. It will never be about you. Ever. And if it is, it will be empty every time. If it's about the trophies that you have gotten, if it's about the certificates that are on your wall, if it's about the, the 16 sports cars that you've got in the big garage, if it's about the 500 shoes, ladies, that are in the, in the closet, it means nothing. It is vain. If it's about the spiritual resume, uh-oh. I got this gift, and I got that gift, and I got this and Paul says, listen, man, if you don't have love, that, that matters to a whole pill of beans. Doesn't matter. 
you can prophesy, you can know stuff, God give you insight to things. If it ain't about helping people get out of where they are, it don't matter. You look really spiritual, but you, got, you just got your reward. Have a, great, have a great life. 30 seconds later, you'll be unfulfilled. You gave away something to, 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 for God. You gave, some, gave, gave away a word of God, but it was really for you, so it didn't matter. Oh, boy. I'm, I should stop meddling. You, you did not choose me. But I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your, sh- that your fruit should remain. You asked me, my father, that's what you will, my father's name, he will give it to you. These, no, these, these things I command you, these are not suggestions. So that you will love one another. Now, Oz Guinness, the guy I wrote the story from, he talks about this idea of calling, what God's called us to be. He says, first, calling transforms things by reminding us once again of our audience. Drudgery done for ourselves for our, or, or for other human audiences will always be drudgery. But drudgery done for God is lifted and changed. Hudson Taylor was a missionary to China, opened the doors to China for missionary work. He said this, a little thing is a little thing. But faithfulness in a little thing is a big thing. You guys may know Mother Teresa, right? She said these, said this, I don't do big things, I do small things with big love. She changed the world, that little lady from wherever she was in India, right? Huh? Second, Osgenis says, calling transforms things by focusing our attention under God on things as they are. The Christian faith has a bifocal vision. It is world-affirming and world-denying at the same time. Seen one way, the world is marred, broken by the ravages of evil, right? You can see it all around you. But seen another way, the world was made and pronounced good despite the ruin. The reality and goodness of God's creation are constant and inalienable. And the way he brings beauty into the brokenness is he injects people full of his life, full of his love, and full of his truth into the brokenness that things might be healed. Third, calling transforms things by reminding us that drudgery is a part of the cost of discipleship. There will be days. No one has written on this more persistently and bluntly than Oswald Chambers. If you don't read My Utmost for His Highest, you should. I read it every morning. Okay? Repeatedly, he hammers home the point that drudgery is the, t- drudgery is the touchstone of character. Oswald goes on to say, we look for the big things to do. Jesus took a towel and washed the disciples' feet. We presume the place to be is the mountaintop of vision. He sends us back into the valley. We like to speak and act out of the rare moments of inspiration. He requires our our obedience in the routine. The unseen and the thankless. Our idea for ourselves is the grand moment and the hushed crowd. His is ordinary things when the footlights are switched off like the plowman. He says, for those who answer the call, everything under God has its own importance. Though the final respect is not ours to bestow. We can't determine how important things are. We don't have the right view. We don't have the right perspective. I told somebody the other day, life is like, a, like puzzle pieces. We get one piece, we can't see the whole puzzle. Our life is one puzzle piece in the whole gamut of what God's doing. And it's jagged and it's weird and it's got weird curves and turns and stuff like that. And sometimes we look at our piece and we go, dude, what's that all about? I can't make sense of it. It looks like I don't even know what that is. 
When God takes it and puts it right where it belongs, it makes sense suddenly. You guys ever been to Kosai? How many of you have ever been to Kosai? You go in the main door and there's that big picture of Albert Einstein, right? And you really can't see what makes up Albert Einstein until you get up on the thing, on that one, that one like mezzanine level, there's that thing, and every little pixel of Albert Einstein's face is made up by, some, by, by, by a family or a picture of somebody else, and you can't even tell it. That's, that, that, that's how life is. The whole picture Jesus is, is made up in, in, the, in this world, in this existence, is made up by a bunch of people we can't even tell who they are. That's you. That's me. Doing our life, working our work, loving our neighbors, praying for people, doing things that nobody is paying attention to, giving things away when nobody else is even paying attention that somebody needs something. We, that, that's what's happening. But we, can't, we, can't, we, we don't know how to bestow the significance of that because we can't see the whole picture. All we can do is do our part at the moment. All we can do is say, God, if this is the life you've given to me, I want to walk it out for your glory. I want to love you like, like nothing else. I want, to, I want to love people like I love myself. If you can help me do that, Jesus, I, I, I want to see it from your perspective. He goes on to say, if it's ever to be ours, it will come from the well done of the caller. But the well, doesn't, the well, done, hey, the well done doesn't come till the end. Well done, good and faithful servant, right? But before the eventual well done, our task today, listen, our task today is to do well. He says, he says how? By loving people, things, and work for their sake and for his. You should, you should read that book. It's called The Call by Oz Guinness. You should. It's like a, both in like, the, like 26 single day readings, right? Life, here's the last thing I'm going to say. I'm going to let you guys go home. Life is empty when, when it's only or mostly filled with me. Life becomes full when Jesus gets all of me. Jesus is preaching, and he's approached by a guy, and in Luke, Luke 10, 25, you find it. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? What do I do to get this? What, how can I, and his, his perspective is, what do I, how can I get something out of this? Just like the rest of us. What do I do to get? What do I do to get? Jesus said, well, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, listen to these words. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus' response? Right! Exclamation point! Do this and you will live. Do you get the implication Jesus is saying there? The only way to really live life is by loving God. He is at the center and allowing that love to come in and loving people. That all of life is about loving God and loving people. That's how you find life. Nothing else will fill it. Not the right job, not the right car, not the right amount of money in the bank, not the, not the, not the right amount of accolades. Not, nothing, nothing else will fill it. Nothing. Nothing. Can you imagine what it would be like if we, sitting in this room, did everything, did everything out of and with love? Just, 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 just think of your life right now. If every task of every day was saturated with love, if every second, every interaction, every relationship, if everyone was filled with love, how would, how, how would, what would life look like? What would, your, what would your house look like, your home? 
What would your neighborhood be like? What, what would your workplace look like? What would the, the community that we live in look like if just the people in this room, just us, decided we were going to not be the center anymore. We're going to let God and Jesus, through Jesus be the center of our lives and we're going to live with the outflow of that love reaching out towards other people and that's how we live everything we do in life. What would that be like? Paul's admission is this, all that matters. Galatians 5, 6. Paul, the crazy apostle who had no problem going toe-to-toe with somebody, even getting into scraps when he had to, getting beat up and all sorts of other things. And what he says, all that matters, Galatians 5, 6, all that matters is faith working by love. That's it. That's all. There is nothing else. Nothing else. So, let me ask you a question. Where's your love today? Is it in things? Is it in money? Is it in selfish ambition? Is it in notoriety? Is it in self-preservation? How's your love for Jesus at the moment? Oswald Chambers, just this week, I read this this week. Listen, if you want to be of use to God, get rightly related to Jesus Christ, and he will make you, you of use unconsciously every minute that you live. Did you hear that? If you want to be of use to God, get rightly related to Jesus Christ, and he will make you of use unconsciously every minute that you live. Dude, that's deep. I'm just saying. So how's your love for for neighbors? How's your love for brothers and sisters? The people closest to you right now, where, where, where is it? I can't answer that for you. Only you and Jesus can answer it. Is forgiveness ruling and reigning in your life? Is patience ruling and reigning in your life? Is generosity of time and energy and talents, even money at times, or just whatever substance you have, is, is, is it translating into the lives of other people? Because if it isn't, we're missing it. Thanks for listening to the CT Podcast, a ministry of Church Triumphant, another opportunity for you to be equipped and encouraged to win, disciple, and send. For further information, go to www.churcht.org.